This is The Visible Hand, a podcast about organizations, economics, and management. My name is Jordi Blanes y Vidal, and I am an associate professor at the Department of Management, London School of Economics. My guest today is Gianmarco Leon Ciliota, who is an associate professor of economics at Universitat Pompeu Fabra, the Barcelona Graduate School of Economics, and IPEG. Today, we're going to talk about his paper, Vertical Integration, Supplier Behavior, and Quality Upgrading Among Exporters which is co-authored with Christopher Hansman, Jonas Jort, and Mathieu Tichaut, and published in 2020 at the Journal of Political Economy. Hello, Gianmarco. Welcome to the program. Hi, Jordi. Thank you very much for the invitation. Very happy to be here. Gianmarco, what is vertical integration? Vertical integration is basically when a, when a downstream, well, in the, in the case that we're going to, to analyze, a downstream producer acquires uh, an upstream supplier. It means that then the two activities, both in the upstream and in the downstream, are undertaken by the same firm, rather than, say, the first activity being undertaken by one firm, then selling its product in the market and being bought by a second firm, correct? Exactly. So basically, the, the downstream producer in this case expands what, what in the literature has been called since Coase's classical work, the boundaries of the firm. Instead of the downstream producer going to the market, and trying to buy their inputs from a supplier, they acquire the supplier and does everything in-house. From the outside, this seems like a very obscure question. You know, whether it is the same firm or different firms that do certain things or not, why should we at all be interested on whether firms integrate activities or not? Well, in principle, if you take face value, your Econ 101 model where there's perfect information, there are no transaction costs, et cetera, et cetera, the model of the organization that, that you would have is one in which there you have different firms producing each part. No, they think about a car manufacturer where one firm produces the tires, another firm produces the screws, another firm produces the wheel, and one, one firm just puts everything together. Even that there are no transaction costs, um, that that's that's that would be efficient in our models. However, we know that the world is hardly ever as neat and clean as our Econ 101 models. There are a number of frictions. There is imperfect observability of certain actions, the information asymmetries, and so on. So, what we see in reality is that some firms act as we were describing before, where, where they buy their inputs in, in the market, whereas some other firms have broader boundaries and, and they buy their suppliers, basically do in-house a bunch of the stuff that in principle you would be able to buy on the market. So you have mentioned transaction cost, you have mentioned frictions, imperfect observability. Will this be the main forces behind the theories that the profession has proposed as explaining what determines vertical integration? Yeah, basically, these are just some of the of the main frictions that we've seen treated in, in the profession. If you go back to the classical work, I mentioned already codes, but, but also you, you can think about Holstrom, Milgram, etc. The issue of vertical integration goes through to a large extent because of a problem of, of imperfect contract, right? You, you, you cannot write down 
uh, contract that you can end up enforcing and that can allow you to avoid all these transaction costs involved in sourcing your inputs in the market. If I want to buy a liter of semi-skim milk, there is a market out there. The product that I need is very simple. I am not going to produce the milk myself because having a cow at home, that would be out of work. You know, so I just go to the market and buy it. But if I need some other service or product that is much more complex, that is much more subtle, that needs to fit very well with my requirements, I could, of course, go to the market, but I may not get what I want unless I write a very little contract that specifies that the quality has to have certain characteristics, they deliver at certain times, and so on. And you are saying because these contracts are imperfect, incomplete. Some people, some firms may end up concluding, I might as well do it myself rather exactly. than go to the market. Exactly. So, so the, continuing with the, with the example that you were proposing, if you need semi-skim milk to produce your yogurt, you probably need a certain level of acidity of the milk or some specific characteristics. And if you don't get that, your yogurt production is going to be screwed. So you have to be able to write a, a proper contract with a supplier Given that sometimes that cannot be done, uh, you might as well uh, get a cow and feed it into your London apartment. This takes us then to the specific theory that you are interested in this paper, which has to do with quality upgrading as a motivator for vertical integration. Could you talk us about what is quality upgrading and why firms that want to upgrade their quality will want to vertically integrate? Sure. So relatively recently, there's been a a literature in the intersection between trade and development, highlighting the importance of quality upgrading for exporters so that they can access richer markets uh, where they can increase their their, their markets. Uh, A very nice summary of that literature is in Eric Berhugen recently wrote a a fantastic survey, right? And and so the idea here is that if you... If you produce high quality products, you can sell and you're in a, in a developing country, you can access uh, the European or, or the American rich markets and you can have higher products. Now, if this is true, why do we still see that products coming from, from poor countries are, are relatively low, low, low quality? Okay, uh, so we don't see the quality upgrading our basic theories uh, would predict. So what are the constraints preventing producers from from producing higher quality products. What are typically these constraints? How do you think that vertical integration could help to alleviate these concerns? The most obvious constraints that you can have uh, could be, for example, capital constraints, knowledge constraints, et cetera, et cetera. And and that has been extensively studied. The idea, the main insight that, that I think we bring to the table in this paper is that There are a bunch of the contracting failures that we were discussing before in the market, because when you want to produce high quality products, you need high quality. You can go to the market and try to buy these these high quality inputs, but in in the presence of of contracting failures, this this is not as easy as it may seem. So there may be some instances in which the producers may want to incorporate their suppliers basically to, to make sure that they provide the, the inputs of the, of the right quality. And what is the main contracting failure in, in this case is that quality 
in some cases, it is perfectly observable. You know, if you sell me, I don't know, a silk shirt, I can touch the silk and, and I can sense that it is very soft. But in, in a bunch of cases, it is not, right? Just to take a very uh, timely example, think about a vaccine. I buy a vaccine. And of course, I'm, I'm not. A, I'm no specialist to test the quality of the vaccine. I would have to go through a very lengthy and costly process. So contracting on quality is very hard. In the case of the vaccine that you just mentioned, contracting on quality is very hard for technological reasons. I cannot take the molecule, look at it under a microscope, and tell whether the vaccine will work or not. I need to do some randomized trials, wait a long time, and so on. But I know that uh, you are particularly interested in developing countries. In developing countries, there may be additional contracting problems, which refer to the fact that maybe contracts are difficult to enforce, uh, to monitor, to write down, to start with. But you, at least in this paper, are mostly concerned about difficulties uh, to contract on quality that have like a technological origin. It is, it is a little bit of both. In the, in the particular case that we are going to be studying, there are certain technological barriers that prevent firms from properly assessing the quality of the inputs that they're getting. But at the same time, we're going to be in a setting we're going to be studying an industry in Peru, and institutions are not the strongest. So even if you were able to write the perfect contract, Imagine that you don't get the right input that you requested. Going through a court trial and so on can take ages and can be uh, very, very, very costly. Okay, so I am a firm in a say, developing country. I would want to produce a higher quality outputs to export them. For that, I need high quality inputs. There are some suppliers in my, in my local market, but I find it difficult to contract on the quality uh, with my suppliers, so I might as well integrate them to ensure that these inputs that I'm getting are of high quality. How will integration solve this problem specifically? Basically because you are removing market incense, no? So the, I guess we're gonna talk in much more detail uh, about it, but let's imagine that you are a producer of inputs and you can invest your time in producing a lot of quantity or invest your time in trying to make your output high quality, okay? If quality is, is an observable, hard to measure, hard to contract on, et cetera, et cetera, basically the market is going to have a single price for, for your product, uh, regardless of, of whether they are high quality or low quality. So for the, for the upstream suppliers, what you're going to have is that all the market incentives are going to be geared towards them putting effort in activities that lead to produ the, the production of quantity and not quality. Once you bring, so what does the, da the, the downstream producer uh, do? They know that the upstream supplier has incentives to produce quantity. So why basically remove the market incentives by bringing that supplier into my, my own firm and basically writing down a labor contract where, you, where I can fire you if stuff doesn't work? The manager of the downstream activity will have been an entrepreneur that gets the benefits from producing out of quantity and selling it to the market. But if I integrate him, now he's just getting a fixed wage. He doesn't care. So he doesn't have that incentive to damage the quality 
in order to increase the quantity. And that way I ensure the quality of my exactly. products. We have been touching on different sides about the actual setting that you study. <laughs> so we might as well go, go into it. The setting of your study, and the, I think it's a very interesting setting, but, but I like most that it's a paper that is about something that I understand very well after reading the paper, relative to before reading the paper. So the setting is the Peruvian fish meal manufacturing sector. Could you tell us the main uh, features of, of this sector? particularly, of course, in terms of how they will be related to the question, but technology, number of players, and so on? Let me give you a, a crash course on the fish millings. Question one is, what is fish? Right? So fish meal is a brown powder that is obtained from burning fish, and it's mostly used for livestock feed. Right, so so it is typically used in salmon farms, uh, shrimp farms, cows, poultry, etc. So, Peru is a very large player in in the world market in, in this industry. It produces about thirty percent uh, of the world market, and, and this is because of, of the um, of the ecological conditions of, of the of the Peruvian. Right. Uh, so the the way the industry is organized is that you have large industrial boats that go out at, at sea and fish large amounts of anchovies. They bring the fish to the port. In the port, you have several factories where they offload the fish and they process it. As I was saying, this is the, the fish meal comes out of um, burning the fish. So basically, they process the fish and they convert it into, into fish. In the period that we're going to study, uh, which is 2009 to 2016, there were about 94 plants uh, spread throughout the Peruvian coast. They, these plants uh, were owned by 37 firms. And so th these, these are the guys that we were talking about as the, the downstream producers. The upstream suppliers, the boats, there were about 800 boats uh, that went around the coast. They were licensed to fish. This is a, a depletable resource, right, the fish. So the, this is a very regulated industry. So the question that we're going to, to be thinking about is when downstream producers want to export high-quality fish meal, is this going to be a motivation for them to acquire the upstream suppliers or not. So the vertical integration decision is, should the plant and the boat be owned by the same company, such that when the boat arrives to the coast, it just gives the fish to the plant in exchange for nothing, because these are two elements of the same firm, or should they instead be owned separately, such that when the boat arrives to the coast, it's the captain sells the fish in the open market, and then the manager of the plant can also buy the fish in the open market. But this is a transaction that takes place outside in the market rather than inside in the firm. So you said something about uh, quality upgrading. What does quality upgrading mean in this industry? The, the, the beauty of this, this industry is that it is relatively simple. Fish meal is this brown powder that I was describing before, and it is a very, very homogeneous product. The one difference that, that you have in the, in the fish meal is related to its protein content. The higher the protein content, the higher the, 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 higher the quality, and of course, uh, the price in the market is, is going to be, to be high, right? So, so this is the nice thing about the setting is that given that it is very, very regulated, the government collects very high quality data 
on these uh, on the plant's production, and we have export prices from which uh, we are going to infer. So this is on the on the output side. Now, when we go to to the fish, one particularity of this industry is that one of the main determinants of whether you get high quality fish meal or low quality fish meal is whether you produce it with fresh fish or not. Okay. So the longer the number of hours that the fish spend outside uh, of the sea, eh, the lower the quality of the input and the lower the quality of, of, of the output, right? So there are certain, there are a number of decisions that boat captains can take to ensure that the fish that they deliver is, is a good input for, for the producer. When my grandmother used to go to the fish market in Valencia, she would also want free fish that is as fresh as possible, she will look at the eyes of the fish and visually determine whether the fish was fresh or not. But your argument here is that this is not something that can be effectively done by the buyers of this fish in order, in order to make, say, the price that they pay be somehow contingent on, on quality. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I am I am Peruvian. I love to eat ceviche and, and fresh fish is something that you learn to distinguish very early in your life. However, here we are talking about an industry where you have the fish meat plants working 24-7. You have uh, boats with a capacity that go between 30 to 100 tons that are offloading the, their fish at the time. You can certainly pick one fish, pick a random sample, right? What we always do in, in economics, pick a random sample of, of the fish that, that, that you are getting from a certain boat and take it to the lab. From our conversations with, uh, with industry insiders, we learned that testing for the quality of, of the fish is, is not as straightforward, right? When, when you and I go to the market, we are looking at a fish that has been out of the water for days and, and our distinction is going to be, our, our definition of pressure not is going to be based on four versus seven days. These guys are testing for freshness. That is, the difference that they're going to be looking for is between 18 versus 23 hours, okay? So this is one of the technological constraints for measuring quality that we were discussing. The other technological constraint is that you have a plant working all the time, right? We have said already that the quality of the final product is very easily observable. You can test it and, and you're going to price it in market. So you definitely want to uh, know what is the quality of the product, right? So you might say, okay, but if you cannot test the, the, um, the freshness of the fish, you might as well try to infer the freshness of the fish from the quality of the final output that you get. Now, the problem here is that to produce a batch of fish meal, you're using input from many, many, many boats. So it is nearly impossible to identify which batch of fish meal comes from, from a batch of fish that comes from boat X or Y. But you say that one important determinant of the presence of the fish is how long ago it was caught, right? So maybe the captain in the boat could say, I commit to do very short trips, catch very little fish, and then bring it to you immediately, and I happily can put... Uh, in my boat, the GPS that you buyer give me to convince you that I indeed do that. But this is not feasible in this setting. Why not? Well, actually, boats do have uh, a GPS in the uh, aboard on board, 
uh, this is mandated by the by the regulator, the Ministry of Production uh, in Peru, and they have to transmit their location every hour. However, this information is is only observed by the regulator, but not by the firms. Okay, the process through which the the captain gets the fish has a lot of is subject to a, to a bunch of, of discretion depending on what you're finding. Right, so if you're finding tons of waves, you're going to try to move somewhere else. If you find a school of fish that is big enough, you're going to stop there. So we we are in a world where where effort is not clearly observable by a, an easy to acquire technology. That's also a, an argument as to why contracts between independent suppliers and firms may not be feasible because these contracts will have to be made contingent on a wide array of information that is only observed by the captain along the way and can only be evaluated with significant expertise. And we wouldn't want to tie the hands of the decision makers in that way. That would be highly inefficient. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. So, so in, in terms of, of a principal agent model, what you have is that the state of the world is only observable uh, for the agent, but not for the... I presume, obviously, that if you are studying vertical integration in this industry, it, it must be the case that at least some boats and some plants are vertically integrated, but not, not, not all of them. Yes. So, so on, on average, throughout the period that we study, uh, 20, 28% of the boats in a given season are vertically integrated. And we do see transactions that go on both directions, right? We see some boats that go from being independent to being owned by a plant, uh, some boats that are go from being owned by, by a plant to being independent, right? So there's these uh, captain co-ops, uh, some other boats that uh, change hands between fish meal producing firms. You said earlier, the main determinant or theory or hypothesis behind vertical integration that you are interested in in this paper is the idea that uh, firms vertically integrate in order to ensure the quality of its inputs. Obviously, in this case, that the plants buy the boats in order to ensure the freshness of the fish. What would you expect to find in the data? What type of empirical patterns would you, you know, ex ante expect to see in order to claim that this is evidence in support of this theory that you have? Mm-hmm. So in, in the paper, we build our arguments in three steps. The, the first thing that we should observe is at least a correlation between the proportion of your input is, uh, that is coming from a vertically integrated supplier and the quality of, of the output, right? So first, graph number one that you always want your grad students to, to bring you to, to the table. Then one thing that we should observe, if it is true that Vertical integration is a motive. So, quality upgrading is a motive uh, for vertical integration. We should observe that when, when the incentives in the market are larger, meaning when the price that you would get for high quality versus low quality fish meal uh, is larger, you source more of your inputs from vertically integrated, right? That, that's the firms are rational, so they should react uh, to prices if our theory. Is, is the second piece of, of evidence that we are going to, to show relates to, okay, do vertically integrated boats indeed behave differently 
than non-vertically integrated boats, right? And this relates to the discretion of the captain and that there are some observable uh, actions that we see that uh, are probably consistent with the delivery of, um, of uh, fresh, uh, fresh fish, okay? The final piece of evidence that we're going to produce is, is sort of to try to put the cherry on the cake and, and we're going to try to provide evidence that when you source most of your input from uh, a vertically integrated supplier, this indeed has a causal effect on the quality of the output, right? So we're going to revisit the first correlation, but now trying to, to put a, a causal statement on top. I'm going to repeat them here because these are essentially the three fundamental pieces of the paper. You devote one section to every one of these three pieces of evidence. So number one, vertical integration will increase when it is more important to, high, to have high quality inputs. That is when the relative price of high quality outputs uh, increases. Number two, suppliers that are vertically integrated will take more actions that ensure the high quality of their inputs or the inputs that you know, they, they sell. Number three, firms that use higher integrated, uh, that use integrated suppliers uh, will be more likely to produce higher quality outputs. And you will show us evidence uh, separately with different strategies or, or whatever, or these uh, three different pieces of evidence. What is the data that you have? Okay, so, so here um, we amass sort of a wealth of different sources of, of, of data. And, and again, the, the big advantage of working in this industry is that the re it is a regulated industry and therefore the government has a lot of high quality data. So, so let, let me start for, for on, on at the beginning, right? So when you're trying to study vertical integration, one of the hardest pieces to get data on so you need data on transactions, okay? In this case, the, the amount of fish that is offloaded from the boat in the plant. In many industries, you observe that. You observe that, that market transactions, quantities, prices, et cetera. But if you want to study vertical integration, you also want to have data on transactions that happen within the firm, right? And this is data that we obtain from, from the regulators. So this is difficult. That, that this is just to be clear. Is, this is, is a difficult part. Rare. It is extremely rare to, to observe transactions within the firm. In this case, given that each boat has permits to fish a certain amount each season, the regulator has to measure how much fish they offload each time. So we observe uh, transactions between boats and, um, and plants, uh, regardless of whether they're integrated uh, or not. Then we have information on, on the registry of all plants and all boats, which include some technological characteristics, the technology that the, that the plant uh, has, the type of engine that the boats use, et cetera, et cetera. And importantly, who owns which boat, whether the boat is independent or, or, or it is attached. The third thing that, that is remarkable about this context is that we are able to observe quality, right, directly. And this is something that is also relatively rare. So if you think about the papers that have been studying quality uh, as an output, they mostly rely on direct measures of quality in the field, which are expressed. Right here, we have, again, the government measuring the quality uh, of the output at the month cross plant level. But we're going to go a little bit further. 
given that this product is quite homogeneous and the only difference is the, um, is the quality, the, the protein content, we're going to be able to match each uh, export shipment to its price. We're going to observe the posted price for a given quality uh, any given week. And therefore, we're going to be able to uh, back out the protein content of each export uh, ship, right? And again, this is not standard in, in the literature. Typically, you cannot take prices as a measure of quality because you have differentiated products and the differences in prices may just reflect markups and not differences uh, in, in quality. Then we're going to use this really cool data set that, again, the government uh, collects from the GPSs of each boat, right? As we were discussing before, the government requires each boat to have their GPSs on and transmit their locations every hour. So we managed to, to get that data and we're going to use it sort of to, to infer what type of actions are the boat captains uh, taking at each point in time. So the first pattern that you should observe in the data is that an increase in the quality premium, that is the price differential between high quality fish meal and low quality fish meal, leads to an increase in vertical integration. And not only that, but this relation should be causal. What are the challenges in establishing this causal relation and how do you overcome them? Okay, very good question. All right, so... Here, the, the main challenge is that you're going to have reverse causality, right? So, so Peru, as I was saying, is a very big player in the market. So it, it affects the prices, it affects the, the, the premium, right? So what we are going to do is going to try to find a source of exogenous variation in the gap between the prices for low quality fish meal and high quality. How do we do that? We look for other countries that also are big players in the high quality fish meal market. In this case, we're going to be using Denmark, Chile, and, and Iceland. And in these countries also, the production of, of fish meal is governed by fishing quotas. So when they have lower fishing quotas, they are going to be able to put less fish on the market. And therefore, the price of high quality fish meal is going to shoot up, right? So this is going to buy us one piece of the exogenous variation that we need. This is going to, to give us time series variation in the gap between the low and the high quality. Now, the second piece that we need is to, to have a source of, vari of cross-sectional variation, right? Because not everyone produces high quality fish meal. So, so we, we need to sort of differentiate between the firms that are going to react more or less to this, to this price gap. The, the price premium. Um, and here we're going to rely on a, on a very simple observation. If you produce 90% of, of your production is already high quality fish meal, you're not going to have a lot of scope to take advantage of this uh, price gap. Whereas if you're at 10% of producing high quality, you have a lot of scope, right? So, so we're going to have an interaction between the price gap instrumented by the quotas from other countries with the proportion of your fish meal that is high quality in T minus one. So the independent variable is that interaction. Proportion of your fish meal that, or your inputs that are integrated interacted with the quality premium as instrumented by 
the fishing quotas in countries on the other side of the world. So, so what we're going to have is on the left-hand side, the proportion of your input that is coming from, from integrated suppliers or the number of boats that you own. We, we use this, this tool. On the right-hand side, we're going to interact the price premium instrument, as you mentioned, interacted with the upgradable share of your output. Let's call it. So I understand that if you if the share of your output that is high quality is already 100%, it will be useless to vertically integrate because you cannot bring it above 100%. What is slightly less clear to me is why having that share at 10% necessarily makes you, you know, so further away from the frontier than at 20%. Because, you know, still you're, you're, not, you're not going to hit the maximum for a, for a very long while. But this instrument is kind of linear. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, but, but it's, it's intuitive at the same time, right? If you think that, that you have sort of an increasing marginal, marginal cost to generate high quality, then this is sort of the, um, the relationship that, that you, should, you should expect. Okay, so using this instrument, what do you find here? So he, in this part of the paper, what we find is that when the incentives to integrate are larger, this leads to larger shares of your input coming from vertically integrated, right? So quantitatively, the results show that a 5% increase in the quality premium implies a 30% increase in the share of the input coming from vertically integrated, right? But interestingly, we see the relationship in both directions. Not only when the price gap is large, you integrate more, but also when the price gap goes down, you deintegrate. That is, you, you sell your, your integrated supply. So the, this quality premium can go up and down, right? Like a, I think you have a graph in the, in the paper that shows the evolution, it fluctuates, you know, up and down, depending on, as you said, in fact, the fishing quotas of other countries or demand or, or whatever. Is it a lot of work to integrate a boat because the quality premium went up this year when I know that maybe next year or the one after that, the quality premium may go down again? Is the market for buying these boats relatively liquid or, or are these transactions that I can never go back from? Buying one of these boats is, is not cheap. I mean, I, it took me a long time to decide which car to buy and that wasn't nearly as close as the decision of buying these large fishing boats. But at the same time, given that the, the number of transactions that we see in the market is consistent with a market that is very, very liquid. Okay, so... An increase in the quality, in the, uh, quality premium causes vertical integration. The second prediction that we mentioned earlier is going back is that suppliers that are integrated, that is the captains of boats that are owned by plants and therefore that are not going to go to the market to sell the fish, undertake actions to preserve the quality of the fish uh, even at the expense of quantity, yeah? relative, of course, to independent suppliers. Again. What are the challenges in testing this prediction and what do you do about them? So the, the first challenge is understanding what are actions that are consistent with the provision of, of fresh fish, right? And, and 
I am I am a development a development economist uh, at at heart. So to understand that, what we did was to go to the field. Uh, we spent hours talking uh, with boat captains, uh, industry insiders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And basically, so once you understand what actions are consistent with the production of high quality or fresh fish, you have to figure out how to measure those actions, right? And here is where we use the school data that we were discussing before from the GPSs of, of the boats, right? And there are three actions that we, four actions that we can clearly measure in our day. Number one, the, the number of hours that you spend at sea. Number two, how far you go to get your fish. Number three, the amount of fish that you deliver and the number of delivery, okay? This is because, so before we mentioned that the fish is going to be fresher when you bring it back quicker, but it also has to do with the amount of ice that you're going to pack in your boat. Whether the fish deteriorates or not, it's going to depend on whether you pack a lot of fish in one shipment and therefore the fish sort of in the bottom start getting crushed and, and loses its freshness quicker. So this is on the measure on the understanding and measurements. Okay, so, so we, we have a certain difficulties we are able uh, to make. Then the second difficulty is on establishing whether the relationship between vertical integration and the actions consistent with quality is causal or not. Okay. And here we are going to exploit the, the wealth of the data. So remember, here, here we're going to be observing each individual trip that each boat makes, right? And we see the same boats delivering to different plants. Sometimes they deliver to a plant when they are vertically integrated. Sometimes they, they deliver to a plant when they are not vertically. So we're going to use a fixed effect strategy where we are going to put a fixed effect in the relationship, at the relationship level. That is, at the boat delivering to a given plant. Even that we have boats that go from independent to integrated and from integrated to independent, we're going to exploit the variation in these quote-unquote switchers to identify uh, right? Meaning, the question that we're going to ask in a causal fashion is whether when you deliver to the same plant as an integrated or as an, an, an independent supplier, you're going to behave differently. So we have the same boat delivering to the same plant, sometimes owned by the plant, Sometimes not. When the boat uh, is owned by the plant, what does the boat do that is different? Okay, so what, what we find uh, in this analysis is that when you are vertically integrated, boats are more likely to fish closer to the coast. They spend less time at sea and they deliver lower amounts of fish in its in its trip. Additionally, they do more trips per season. Right. If you want to put numbers here, uh, boats deliver about 10% less per trip. They fish 5% closer to the port and spend 3% less time at sea. So as a captain, I'd rather do one single trip and catch a lot of fish rather than 300 trips catching very little fish. But that is, that is of course, bad for quality. When I am vertically integrated, my, sh my trips will be shorter I will have less quantity for every uh, trip, and therefore, as a result, I will not go so far, so far into the sea, but stay uh, closer to to the coast. Exactly. So, 
So one thing that I was thinking as you were answering this question is, we have talked a lot about, oh, the quality cannot be observed, the quality cannot be observed, and so on, because otherwise uh, supplier and buyer could contract on quality. But something else that cannot be observed is the actions that the supplier takes that cause the quality to be higher or lower. But yet you observe these actions, right? But the the buyers in the industry do not observe these actions, or at least they do not observe them in a contractible, timely way, uh, and so on. Because otherwise, they could just write a contract that says, Captain, I will pay you that much as long as every trip that you do, you only bring that much fish, or you don't put you 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 don't pack it very tightly, or you put a lot of ice, or or your trips are short and so on. But these things, uh, like a precondition for vertical integration to incentivize these actions, is that these actions must not be contractible through alternative exactly. ways. So here, here, remember that we are dealing with nature, right? So, so if we write a contract telling the captain, captain, you cannot go beyond 70 kilometers uh, from the coast and you have to be back in 18 hours, the captain can come back with a, a boat completely empty and say, look, I didn't find fish within 70 kilometers, right? I had to go, and if you, I go further away, you're going to punish me, so I may as well come back with, with an empty boat. Okay, so third prediction in your theory. Boats that become integrated, or plants that acquire boats, are able to obtain high-quality inputs, which we do not observe, but as a result are able to produce higher-quality output, which we observe, uh, you observe. How do you test this prediction? Okay, this is a tough one, right? Because there are a number of reasons why you might think that more productive firms or firms that are geared towards high-quality production are richer firms, and also they're the ones who are able to afford to buy more fish, right? So here, the reverse causality channel is a real channel. So what we are going to do is going to, again, exploit some knowledge that we accumulated about the market. And in particular, the fact that there are a certain types of boats that by regulation are prohibited to be bought by the, by the plant. So there are two types of boats in this industry, the larger metal boats and relatively smaller wooden boats. The wooden boats can never be acquired, right? And these boats are going to be moving up and down the coast, trying to follow the fish, depending on, on the water temperatures and whatnot. What, one regularity that, that, we, that we observe is that given that you want to buy fresh fish, you tend to buy fish from the boat that is closer to you. So we are going to, the, the intuition for our first instrument, instrumental variable approach is going to be to that if there are more wooden boats in the port where you are located the day before, you're going to be more likely to buy your input from these wooden boats just because they're close. And by definition, these wooden boats are going to be independent. Okay, so how do we put that intuition in practice? Because you might as well say, look, if you are buying from these guys, it is demand that attracts the, these boats, so your, your instrument doesn't work, right? It's a clear violation of your uh, exclusion restriction. So we are going to do to do an instrument of the sort of, of leave supplying plant out, right? So when other boats are in your port because they supplied 
to your neighboring plants, uh, you're going to be more likely to buy. I can see how this instrument will help you with demand-driven confounding uh, factors. But one alternative possibility is that there is something about wooden boats that is just the fact that they are made out of wood <laughs> that makes the quality of the fish inside somehow worse, right? Like one thing that will come to mind, and admittedly this will be like a, a factor that will be created by us in the opposite direction, of course, but one thing that will come to mind is that with steel boats, you can have longer trips because they are bigger, you can go further uh, into the sea, whereas wooden boats maybe stay closer to the coast and, and you know, and, and all that. Of course, that will imply that wooden boats uh, provide fish fresher <laughs> rather than less fresh, okay? But uh, presumably you have studied whether your average non-integrated wooden boat delivers fish that is of similar quality. I mean, they cannot be observed, of course, but, but at least indirectly of similar quality than your average uh, non-integrated steel. Yeah, so th th this is challenging to observe uh, and partially to deal with this criticism, we use a second instrumental variable strategy in which we exploit climatic conditions that make certain boats approach being be a certain port or not uh, to test the same relationship, right? So we use uh, wave height uh, and wind and temperature to instrument um, boat locations, right? And, and in some cases, these instruments are going to make a, a certain port to pack more boats that are going to be integrated or to pack more boats that are going to be uh, non-integrated and that is going to affect the proportion of the fish that each producer sources from either vertically integrated or independent uh, boats. I am convinced now that in this industry, uh, quality upgrading is, you know, important and uh, an important determinant uh, of uh, vertical integration decisions. Uh, this is, of course, probably a very important industry for Peru. Um, it is much more important to me than before reading the paper. Now I'm fascinated by the Peruvian fish meal industry. But a question that I will have is, uh, do you think that the results here are likely to extend to, you know, probably like other developing uh, economies that may also be uh, focused on quality of grading? Yes. So I think that th there is an intrinsic interest of our argument uh, for development economies, because uh, as, as we were saying at the beginning, in developing countries, contract enforcement is, is worse. So these quality motives are going to, to be important. And, and also what our results may suggest is that while some people typically say, look, there are firms that are growing like monsters. They, they are vertically and horizontally integrated, integrating in, in all directions. We shouldn't allow that. What our results suggest is that actually it may be the case that in developing countries, the, the level of BI of vertical integration that, that, you, that we observe is suboptimal. It's suboptimally low. And this is something that regulators uh, should have in mind. More generally, I think that the relationships that we uncover in the, in the paper contribute also to the broader literature to understand the industrial organization of, of firms, right? While our results do not reject directly 
other motives for vertical integration, I believe we are the first to point out that this uh, quality motive for vertical integration, which in the academic literature, uh, I think it's, it's valuable. Uh, thank you, Gianmarco, for coming to the program. Thank you so much, Jory. It was a pleasure talking to you. My guest today has been Gianmarco Leon Chileota. My name is Jordi Blanes Vidal, and this is the Visible Hand podcast. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to the other papers that we discussed. Uh, introductory music selected by Aitana Blanesiso, and the episode was produced by Anderson Tan. <laughs>